Welcome to Imperfect Action with Brock Edwards. And today I have Tim Sackett on as my guest. And Tim, you want to tell people just a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, Brock. Um, so I, I run an IT insuring staffing firm out of Michigan, uh, HRU Technical Resources. That's kind of um, the, the full day gig, right? And then I have another full-time job that is in the HR influencer, recruiting influencer space. I started writing a blog, uh, timsaka.com and Fistful of Talent, probably 10 years ago. And that's turned into a book that I launched this year. That's turned into speaking all over the world. Like it's been a crazy kind of ride um, from that standpoint. So it's it's definitely two full-time positions. Like, you know, people will sit there and go, oh, I'm a grinder. I work 80 hours. And, uh. and I actually wrote a post about this years ago. I said, no one works 80 hours. I'm probably getting close. <laughs> <laughs> Well, actually, Tim, say a bit more about that. You know, the the Instagram fabulous posts in the world uh, yeah. you know, always go on about how, how how hard people are grinding and how much they're working. Oh. And so, so yeah. why is it that you think that people don't actually work eighty hours a week? Yeah, and I, I think I think most people take a look at it this way. Like, I live in I live outside of Detroit. Um, I mean, now I don't like work in Detroit, but it's funny. Our my friend Chris Dunn always tells people I'm from Detroit because he's like nobody else knows anything else about Michigan besides Detroit. So just tell me you're from Detroit. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and, uh, but so you have people, they'll go, Oh, I, I got up at 6am, right. Took a shower, got in my car, drove to work. Gosh, the commute was terrible. It was an hour and a half. They put in eight, nine hours. Um, part of that eight, nine hours was an hour for lunch. They get back in the car, another hour home. And they look at their day and they go, yeah, gosh, that was a, that was a solid 12 hour day. And you're like, you worked eight hours. Like you, you can't count the three hours in a commute and a one hour for lunch. And like, those are all choices you're making. Those aren't necessarily work hours. And so people will sit there and go, Oh, well, yeah, I'm working 12 hours a day, six days, a, you know, five days a week, you know, and they're like, well, there's 60. And then I did this. And then, you know, I take, I took emails from home and um, I had one time I was at a conference and, um, it, and that was actually a, a vendor conference. Right. And one of the salespeople was like, well, Tim, you know, last night at 1130, I was at the bar, you know, with all of you guys. And, you know, I actually met somebody and, you know, set up an appointment for the next day. You know, I'm always working. That's not work. That's life, man. Like we all do that. Like, don't act like that's work. You were half drunk. You met somebody. You had a drunk conversation about setting up a meeting, potentially they're interested in your product. That's not work. That's life. You know, so it, it drives me insane when people sit there and act like they work nonstop because, like here's for here's for me, right? Like, and again, I'm not one to sit there. I'm not going to go on and always say like, oh, I'm constantly working. I'm constantly this. I have a family. I have three sons, a beautiful wife. I've been married 26 years. Love my life. Um, I will get up at four o'clock in the morning to get ready to get to the airport for a 6 a.m. flight so that I can fly out that day, go do whatever I have to do, fly back that night, get into my house at midnight. And go to bed, get up the next morning, do the same thing. And people are like, well, that's insane. Because here's what the normal person would do, which is oh, I'm gonna take out, I'm gonna, you know, take the 8 a.m. flight, right? Or I'm gonna take the 9 a.m. flight. And then I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna do some meetings. And then that night I'm just gonna stay over, go to dinner, and then next day I'm gonna take the 9 a.m. flight out. I'm gonna get home around one or two. And then, you know, I'm I oh, gosh, it's probably too late to go in the office. So I'm gonna go in on Wednesday. And they consider all of that work. <laughs> And I'm like, that to me is that that's all wasted time, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, all right. So, but you said you're getting close to 80 hours a week with, you know, <laughs> everything you've got going on here. So, you know, you you are relentless in the blog posts that you put out there. And I know you're on the road speaking and, and doing your day job and all that. Yeah. How do you, because you, I think you post almost daily, if not I, daily. Yeah. Well, five, I mean, Monday through Friday, like week, like I'm like the work week, right? Because I, the traffic on blogs on like Saturdays and Sundays isn't just it, it, it's not there. So that I you know so I don't put content out. Um, so it's usually five days a week. Once in a while I'll miss, but usually it's if I'm on the West Coast. Like I you know I'll wake up and go oh crap I need to get a post out. And by then the machine's already turned on. It's like yeah you're missed you missed today. So too bad you have to just come back tomorrow. But it's it's uh, it's pretty even when I'm on vacation. Um, I'll have something coming up every single day. So there's something that I've learned in the in the decade that I've been blogging. Um, and Chris and I at Fistful are constantly out on the outlook for like new writing talent, try to find bloggers because everybody I meet goes, oh, I want to do what you're doing. That's that like hustle, like kind of grinder gig, kind of like Instagram, you know, kind of famous thing, right? And and I'm like, oh, that's cool. So here's here's the here's the plan: start writing every single day for ten years. And never stop and, and build an audience. And in 10 years, you're going to be exactly where I'm at. Like, oh, no, no, no. I want to do that right now. Yeah, it doesn't happen that way. I mean, for a very small, minute people like, you know, that become instant celebrities on YouTube or whatever, like there's a reason something happened, right, where they had this, this inflection point where they became instantly, you know, really kind of big. And it's still like my, my wife and I, like my wife teases me constantly and calls me a micro celebrity. She's like, you're only famous with like 10 HR women in the world, right? And, and so that, that, and that's reality. Um, I don't have a big audience, but I have a concentrated audience in, in a space, right? And so then that helps me create what that is. So anyways, Chris and I, what Chris and I have found is that him and I both have this weird um, skill set that we didn't know we had which is we can create content really quickly that is, is somewhat good. Sometimes it's crap, right? Like there's some stuff I write and somebody will call me out on something. I'll go back and read it and go, God, that's awful. Like how did I even write that? But that's another piece of writing. Like when you write every day, I, I would say 10% of the stuff I write is pretty good. 80% of the stuff I write is just average. And then 10% is probably crap. And so, but you just ship it. You know, I write something um, and instead of like going through it and trying to make 15 reiterations and trying to make it the best I can, boom, I just throw it out there because Brock, here's what I've learned is sometimes when I throw something out there, it took me 10 minutes to put together. I threw it out there. I thought, ah, it's just, I needed to fill the space for today, right? The audience needs to be fed. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta throw them something. And I think that's crap, but ship it. I'm going to throw it out there. And all of a sudden, it just takes off and goes viral. And it's like crazy. And everyone's commenting and sharing and talking. I'm like, wow, really? That? <laughs> the, the three ways you can be better recruiter today? Like that became like the, the viral piece for the month? Like that's just crazy to me. But Chris and I both found out that we can actually produce a, a five to 700 word blog post in about 15 to 20 minutes. Oh, no kidding. And most people... That would take an hour, two hours. Sometimes for some people, it's a day. They come back, it takes them three days. And we, Chris and I, we had no concept of that. Like we just both, when I met Chris and Chris met me and we're talking and we're like, we both were the same way. Like we could just, you could give me any topic right now. I could sit down while we're talking on this podcast and kick out a 500 word blog post. 
<laughs> I mean, it's, and again, I'm not bragging. It's just a skill set that I have. It's a weird, odd skill set that I never knew I had. I didn't have it during college. Like I didn't sit down and write. I hated writing papers in college. So it was one of those crazy things. Yeah. So, but you've had like 10 years to develop that skill. When sure. you, you know, when you got started, that was, you know, blogging was kind of a small thing 10 years ago. Uh, so, you know, the, perhaps the audience expectations <laughs> weren't as high. I mean, it, there's just something about getting started and yeah. putting it out there and, you know, just that relentlessness that hones that skill. Uh, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the, the music genre nerdcore. No. Mm -mm. Okay. So there's basically guys that make rap songs about video games. And, and when you talk about like a micro niche of a concentrated audience, yeah. that's them. But one of the interesting things is they create a song with a video to go with it every week. Yeah. Like they're generating content. And, and in fact, uh, talking with one of them, uh, he doesn't even really describe himself as a musician. He describes himself as a content generator. You know, he yeah. is just creating content and it, yeah. it that, that just blows my mind. You know, it, it's an amazing thing to think about that. Way. I know it's definitely like the funnier die concept too, is it, you definitely sharpen your saw, right? So and I look back, here's the cool thing when you first start blogging, because people get so concerned about what they write when they first start. When you first start, the only people who are ever are in your audience are true fans. If somebody comes and reads your stuff and they hate you and they didn't like what you said, they just go away because you're nobody, right? Your, your audience is so tiny. So the only people reading you are like your girlfriend and your mom and your best friend at work. And like, they're all your fans, right? So they're all cheering you on. And so that so you so you have this really small period of time when you first start writing that you can say anything and everybody's on your side. And then what you find is after time and building the audience after years and years and years and having a normal cadence, right? Um, uh, and so the audience gets bigger, and then you find you actually have haters that that will show up every single day waiting for you to say something that they hate so that they can kill you in the comments and socially, like I, I mean, I literally have people who hate me that, that are, and, and it's funny because I, and my, my son's actually taught me this, they're Gen Z and they, they grew up with haters, right? They grew up in a social world. I didn't, I'm Gen X. And so I want to fight people. Every time I get a negative comment, I want to, I want to attack back and, and, you know, and, and let them know like they, you know, that I, I, you know, stand by my content and my, my son's actually taught me that you know the, the best way to, to kind of deflate a hater is to actually just like really agree with them and make fun of yourself about it, right? And so, like I've really learned to like love my haters, and I have haters that will come back and comment. There's one guy in particular, and I won't say his name, but like almost monthly, he'll come in on something and just crush me, and I just and I will literally praise him for doing it and love him. And it totally deflates him every single time. And he keeps trying to come back and get me in a different way. Um, and I'm just, and it's amazing to me, but it was something I had to learn that like once your audience gets to a certain size and, and Lori Rudiman, you know, she's a friend of both of ours. She saw, she sees this as well is that you have people that just want to hate on you, um, which is fine. Like that's, you know, that's part of, Hey, if I, if you're going to put yourself out there on the internet and write every day, like, Hey, you're, you're opening yourself up for that. It's part of the game. So. So, uh, you know, and, and so that amuses me to no end that yeah. you, you have a, a dedicated audience showing up just to hate on you, you know, like they're, they're driving your traffic up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm actually making money on them hating me, which is it's lovely.
Oh, that's fantastic. So concentrated audience, you know, I, I'm fascinated by that as well. You know, Kevin Kelly, the the founder of Wired Magazine, he talks about a thousand true fans. Yeah. And, and, you know, basically just the idea that to do creative work, if you have a thousand super dedicated people, and these are the people that will buy whatever you put out just because you put it out, yep. um, that you can actually make a pretty decent living off that. And, you know, you, you won't be a Led Zeppelin rich, but, you know, you'll be getting by just fine. Yeah. And that there is something to that in this world. Like, you know, we, we don't need to have everyone as an audience. Really, we just need to work on kind of this this core group. And yeah. how did you find your audience or how did your audience find you? You know, it, um, you're, you're so right. Um, I think the one biggest failure I see, not only in blogging or, or people like that, but I see, I do a ton of um, like recruiting HR technology demos and have really become an analyst in that space. And, and, what, and, and most of the people that I advise, when I first meet them, they're trying to be everything. They're like, well, no, we're, we're just selling Tim to the recruiting industry. Um, you know, that's like the world, right? Like, and, and so my thing to them is not get bigger, but how to get smaller. How do you get so specific in, in what you're doing that those people will go, my gosh, like you're delivering something to us. Nobody else is. And, and, you know, and so, so getting smaller is really the key to get, to get the audience. And for me, it was, I'm going to go out and have a voice. Um, and I'm gonna, and it's gonna be me completely. So the one thing I learned was the person you read, timsackett.com, and if I meet you at a conference, if I meet you out for dinner, if I meet you professionally, it's I'm the exact same person. I'm only gonna live that one life. Um, and sometimes people are are little, um, they can't believe that. They're like, holy crap! Like I've been reading you for you know five years or six years, and when they meet me. They're thinking they're going to meet somebody else because most people try to live those two different lives. And I'm like, no, it's me. Like that, I'm the the exact same person. So so that's not not like an inflated showbiz persona you're putting on. No, yeah, yeah, no, my wife. And then you know, again, it's funny because my, you know, it's I have a rule that uh, my wife and I that I can't ever talk or write about her. That's the one rule I have. Otherwise. I'm pretty open on the blog. I've gotten myself in trouble a few times. Um, and, and I've probably cost myself some money a few times. Um, and, and especially in my own professional life of running a staffing firm, I, I, the one thing I tell people is you, you, you might not, uh, I might not, my team and, and the firm might not be better than another firm. I can guarantee you, I'll never lie to you because my public persona is so big that I, if I did, you, I would get killed, right? Like I, you could destroy me um, and publicly very easily if I came in and was one of these cheesy kind of, you know, recruiting guys that li- just lied to you or whatever. And so that's, I can guarantee I'll be transparent and, and, I, and you'll never get lied to. Um, and it's, pro- it's probably cost me some business because I, I can't turn that off when I see someone doing something stupid, even though I could make money on it. I probably have to tell them the truth of what they could do themselves, you know, versus paying me money. But, um, but no, I think it, part of it is, is having the cadence of, um, of writing every single day. So I, I wasn't, I didn't start out or think, well, I guess when I started, first started writing for Fistful of Talent, um, Chris just gave me the Friday slot and he said, Hey, go kind of have fun on a Friday so that people would come on a Friday and think, okay, this is the lighthearted post. It's not going to teach us something. It's just Tim making fun of everything, everything we do. And, and then when I started my own blog, he's like, Hey, let's just try it for a year. 
um, that you write every single day. And then we'll call it the Tim Sackett project because if you don't want to do it, then we can just end the project. <laughs> and that was the whole reason that Tim Sackett project kind of came to about. And that was literally like almost eight years ago that I've been writing every day. So the cadence of, of being there, the audience knows that every single day there's going to be something. And it could be something on recruiting. It could be something on technology. It could be something on HR and performance, but it's always going to be in that space around that. Now, that's how the audience started to build. Since then, I've been able to broaden, right? I can talk about leadership. I can talk about myself. I can talk about a lot of things. And the audience now kind of, you know, likes that breakup besides going, oh, so five days in a row, you're going to talk about recruiting. Like, no, probably not. I'm never going to do that. Yeah. So, you know, so Chris, and and we're talking about Chris Dunn here over at HR HR, Capitalist. HR Capitalist, yeah. Yeah, I uh, followed him, one of the first bloggers I, I read as well, as along with you and Lori Rudeman and a few others. Um, you know, and I think he had set that challenge for himself of, I'm just yeah. going to write every day. And yep. so I, I, I love that, you know, friends helping friends like, hey, you don't have enough going on in your life. You really should just, you know, do this daily. No, um, it's, a, it's a crazy social world thing, too, because I met Chris by re- finding his blog, right? I was at a job, found his blog. Um, reached out to him. We we started um, had a conversation, and ten years later, he's my best friend. Like I probably talk I probably talk to him two times a week. We probably text every single day and multiple times a day. Um, and it's one of those weird things where he lives in Alabama, I live in Michigan, and we met each other through social. And now, I mean, I can't. I don't, there's no one closer in my life from a friendship standpoint. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And in fact, that's one of the things I love about social media. There's a lot of downsides, but you have accessibility to people that you just never had before. And the ability just to reach out and meet people like that. Um, I, I, I've developed several friendships that way myself. So you said you didn't like writing in college. Obviously, it's a significant part of your life now. And I know you've, you've written before on you know, the, the advice of you know, follow your passion. And which I think is crap, by the way, but yeah. So, so actually I was kind of leading to there. So, (laughs) um, yeah, tell, tell us a bit about that. So, you know, that very common advice, you know, follow your passion, you won't work a day in your life, all of that. And no one wants to do anything they hate, but what, what, what's your take on that? Yeah, I think, um, there's things in my life that I'd love to do. and, And there's also responsibilities in my life. Um, like, paying my mortgage and making sure there's food on the table for my children and stuff like that. And I can separate those two things and go, I don't want to do anything I hate to do, right? But in every job, no matter what what kind of job it is, there's going to be certain parts of that job you just don't like as well as other parts in the job. And to me, that's just that's just the that's life again, right? That's just the world going, hey, you know, I might, so here's what I know I love to do, Brock. I love to pet puppies. I love to pet puppies. It's the greatest thing in the world to pet puppies. So if that's my true passion in life, to pet puppies, how am I going to make money at petting puppies? Like, oh, well, you should start a dog business and you could be a dog walker and you could do, uh, 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 and like the grind, all these people that think, you know, you're, you'll find a way. No, shut up. I'm not. I'm not going to make money petting puppies. I don't want to walk dogs. I don't want to clean up after dogs. I don't want to babysit dogs. I want to pet puppies. That's my passion. And and so to me, that's just like the biggest crap advice. It's the biggest fail advice in the world. Like, you know, you should never do that. To me, it's like, go find out what you're good at, that, that you can make money at, and then go do that. And then if you have passion, like petting puppies, 
that's the work-life balance part of life, right? That you go home and you get a puppy and you pet that puppy. <laughs> and then now you're happy. And and that's just how the balance of work and life. To me, we've gotten completely off base on work-life balance where we're like all the balances to your life and none of it's to work. And then people are like, well, I want to make a million dollars. Well, then you got to work, <laughs> you know, and some of work sucks and some of work is hard. And, it, you know, sometimes work gets in the way of your life. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And like people act like that's like somehow we're, you know, we're living in communist Russia if we have to go to work and make money. Like, no, that's just the world. Yeah. You know, I, I laugh a little bit there because I, I, I think the message yeah, does. You like get, puppies too? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think the the the, the well meaning message of you know pursue something that you enjoy um, does get lost in the it, it then becomes you know there should never be a bad day, and you, you know you you should hold out for this dream job, and yet um, you, yeah you got to eat in the meantime, and yeah. and you know my my wife has something that she refers to as the living the dream syndrome, and so she works with horses. And, you know, she, she manages a barn and that sounds awesome. You just imagine ma majestic beasts, you know, misty fields and all of that. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, the yeah, the reality is you're shoveling manure on Christmas day and, <laughs> you know, the, it, it is a dream job and there's so many amazing upsides and good news that those upsides make up for all the horrible downsides of the job. Yeah. And, you know, I, we, I don't think we hear enough discussion about that, that like, yeah, that's it. The upsides have to beat the downsides, but there are downsides. And yeah, you know. yeah, and it's okay for that. You know, it's like, I, you know, and again, I'm a I'm a person that will find fun in almost anything I do. You know, so it's like I'm gonna I, I I'm gonna make whatever experience I'm in that is most enjoyable as I can for myself and for those around me because I think you can do really really bad crappy jobs and still enjoy them hmm. and still enjoy yourself you know, enjoy the people around you. For me, it's about those relationships and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes like the, the most fun I've ever had at work is doing the most crappy part of the job because you know that it is, you go into it eyes wide open and you're like, nope, we're going to, we're going to flip this upside down and we're going to have fun with it. And we're going to figure out a way to enjoy ourselves or at least make fun of ourselves for having to go through this experience together. Um, and those shared experiences to me is what, you know, makes it enjoyable. Yeah, we, you know, and that's another thing that often gets missed, I think. I, I mean, you bring up a great point that, yes, there's the duties of the jobs, there's the responsibilities of the job, but there's also the people around you, the relationships that can make or break, you know, the same job at one organization could be a dream job and totally suck at another simply because of the dynamics of the people you're around. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and there's, I think there's always some fun to be found there. So... All right, so if you know following your, your your passion, and you mentioned you've got three sons, Gen Z, so what's your advice to them? How have you told them they should approach their careers? Well, you know, the, um, people have this misnomer that Gen Zs are just millennials, just younger, and they're not. Completely different generation, right? They grew up during the Great Recession. I find that my sons um, uh, are much more work oriented than a lot of the millennials that I know. And again, broad strokes, so I don't want to, it's, you know, it's, I, I, they, they're, and maybe it's also how they were raised by a dad who's constant, you know, on their face about getting a job and working and stuff like that. 
but they are they are workers um and so i don't have to necessarily give them advice they're they're very cognizant about their education and making sure that they go through and, and do really well with their education and they know that that's going to lead to a career that's going to make money they're not ones to go out and say oh, I'm going to go study art history and think that's going to magically turn into a job that's going to make me a lot of money. They're, they're just more pragmatic than that. Um, but it's not to say that they also don't do, like my one middle son loves musical theater, goes to University of Michigan. He's like, okay, I could go musical theater. That's a really tough, hard row to sew. <laughs> He's like, how about instead I'm going to go advertising and then I'm going to join an acapella group and I'm going to join this. And I'm, and he finds his ways to create for that craving, that passion that he has outside of going, Hey, by the way, I can still be super creative and advertising as a career. I think I'll find some enjoyment in doing that. And, you know, and, and that's just kind of, I think they have that kind of outlook on life is that they are a little bit more pragmatic um, from that standpoint um, in terms of their outlook. So I don't, gosh, I don't feel like I have to give them any advice, but it's probably more my wife raising them, um, you know, and, and, and giving them all that outlook as well. So, yeah, you know, but there, there's something fantastic in there. Just, just the idea that what I'm passionate about doesn't have to be the center of my life. I can still find an outlet for it. In fact, I can use my, my, my day job, which I enjoy, uh, to, to really fund that other part to give me the freedom and the space to go do these other things, whether that's, you know, the acapella group or petting puppies or, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, that's just, it's not normally not talked about that way. And yet that's probably the practical reality for most people. Yeah. I have, I have a recruiter who works for me, um, younger. So super young millennial, maybe right on the cusp of that Gen Z, maybe the oldest Gen Z. And his passion was that he wanted to travel the world. And I'm like, look, if you are super good at recruiting, like if you rock recruiting, you can always take off, save your money, take off, take a six month sabbatical. And when you come back, someone's going to hire you because we're always on the outlook for great recruiters. Like it's, it's nonstop. Like it doesn't matter. You can go anywhere in the country, any industry, and someone's begging for a great recruiter. And so he did it. Like he went out, he saved, I mean, literally worked three years, saved a bunch of money and then took six months. And actually went and started like in somewhere in Asia, came all the way, ended up after six months in Europe, flew home, called me and said like, hey, I'm back. And I'm like, great. You want to come back? Because we need a great recruiter. <laughs> and we hired him and he's working here now. Um, and so, so that it gets back to that. If, if you do really great in whatever it is you do, you can fund your passions outside of that. Uh, that's amazing. And uh, well, yeah, even... You know, even talking about what you were doing, you've traveled the world just as a byproduct of blogging and, yeah. you know, your, your business, uh, which really, you know, it, near as I can tell, you know, your business experience kind of fuels the blog and the content there, which has then led to speaking gigs and, you know, which has allowed you to get out and do things that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. Um, or at least Well, no, and it, get back, it gets back to that balance piece too, is like, so I have I had a passion that I wanted to see a lot of different places in the world. Um, never really thought I would necessarily get there until I retired, right? Because you got the grind. You only have so much vacation. You only have this. I have three kids going through college. Like you're not like the money is just isn't there to go. Oh, let's go on some international trips, you know. Um, and so the whole writing speaking thing came about, and it started getting offers. And then I had to look at, again, the rest of the balance of my life and said, I, I value my wife. I, you know, we've been married 26 years. It's, 
she's awesome. She also puts in a ton of work based on what I do in my own career and having these two full-time jobs. And so I've turned that into time for her and I to go. And so for me, going and speaking internationally, I, you know, that's part of the gig is I'm like, look, I'm going to bring my wife. You're going to pay for our travel. You know, we get at least a week of, you know, travel paid for, and we're going to go and I, and I bring her and I, I go to the conference. I speak one day and then her and I are seeing the world. And, and it's one of those great things I'm able to give back to my family, to her. I mean, my, my boys are always up like, why don't you take us? I'm like, give me a break. You know, we, we get enough of you. This is just for mom and I. Um, and it's really actually over the last four or five years changed our relationship as a husband and wife to something I thought after 26 years I would never find. And so that's completely awesome. Uh, and so that's something I'm dedicated to try to do every single year is take her and I on a big trip. Ah, that's, that's awesome. I love that. Um, I used to travel a lot, but wasn't quite at the point where it was like, Hey, I'm going to bring my wife too. And I I think my wife would have appreciated being able to go see some places. Um, and and it certainly would have uh, given us some nice shared experiences. And, uh, so that's awesome. I I love that. Well, you you mentioned work-life balance and what is your take on work-life balance? How do you define that? Um, I mean, I think we've been talking about it the entire time in terms of how I define it, which is, uh, you know, is, is, is what you're doing at work, um, giving you enough time and compensation and everything that's going to, um, that allows you to have an enjoyable life outside of work. Um, and, and so for me, it's, it's not half and half. Sometimes work takes 95% of my time and energy and effort, um, and, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, sometimes it doesn't. It takes thirty percent. And so, to me, it's the balance of: it, Do I feel like I, I have, you know, that ability that I, I that I can get back to what I love to do, my family and stuff like that? And th- again, there's sometimes that it's completely out of balance, and I and I don't feel good about that. Um, and there's other times where I feel the opposite side. There's, like I said, like. I'm not the person to go and travel and go, oh, it's a two-day conference and I'm going to turn it into a four-day trip where I travel out one day and I'm at the pool in the afternoon and then the next morning the conference starts and then you know I'm flying back on, the, on Thursday because to me, I would feel like I'm not giving the balance back to the company, to myself, professionally, stuff like that. I'm, that I'm kind of, you know, but then there's other people I know that that's, that's their me time. That's their time where they give back to themselves. And that's good. Every, but again, it's, it's, it's individual for everybody. We're all going to find our own balance. Um, that, and that's why I'm always like um, questioning when HR leaders, HR pros, CEOs are talking about giving work-life balance or providing work-life balance to their, to their employees because that's a really personalized decision that we all make. And, and I never believe that an HR person can give me work-life balance. I can only give myself work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah. Very different way of thinking about it. Um, well, I, this has been fabulous, Tim. Uh, as we wrap up today, I've, I've just got a couple questions for you here. One yeah. is, you know, hey, where can people find you? Where can they get your book? Because I know you just wrote a book Yeah, you mentioned earlier. And then how can the listeners help you? Is there any way that the people listening to this can help you out in yeah. your next project, your next stage? <laughs> For sure. So uh, the Talent Fix is on Amazon. So just you know, go on the Amazons and buy the Talent Fix. 
Um, I wrote it um, to help really all leaders in terms of trying to hire better, recruit better, attract talent, all of that. And uh, it's a really quick, fast read. I, I think I've, you know, there's like 70 different people I was able to kind of get to help me out with giving information and great examples. So, um, and again, if you read my blog, it's completely me. It's not, it's not, it's not uh, conservative by any means in terms of, of the conversation that's in the blog. It's kind of right in your face. Um, so, and, and so you can, and you can find it at timsackett.com um, for the blog. And then um, if you Google me, like there's, I'm literally, my SEO is strong enough where you're going to find me. And then ironically, there's also a truck driver chaplain um, whose name is Tim Sackett out of Minneapolis. I'm not that guy, but it would be super awesome if we were the same person. Um, and so, yeah, once in a while, you'll if you find Tim Sackett, the truck driver chaplain, just know that that's the other Tim Sackett and not me. Um, and how can people help me? Like, I run a real company, right? Like, I run contract IT engineering staffing. And so if you have those needs, like, find me, call me, email me, LinkedIn with me. Um, and let's work together. I, I think we do a great job. I think we're super transparent in what we do. And um, I know, uh, I, you know, that I can provide. So let's, let's work out that way. Awesome. And you also do some consulting on the side as well for people who maybe don't need uh, IT help, but are looking on, hey, how do I hire better? Is that correct? Yeah, well, and what I found was so often um, when I get into working with a lot of our clients on on the engineering IT side of staffing, so often, like, because we do contract stuff, so I'm not necessarily trying to take on your direct searches. And, and I mean, I do for companies that just don't have capacity and they're struggling. But the most part, I'm trying to do work outside of what your normal talent acquisition team is doing which allows me to come in and really help those corporate talent acquisition leaders on making their teams better. So, hey, how do we hire our direct people? For, for most of the people we hire, like I have 200 plus um, consultants that work for me that go on side for like projects. So they might be there for six months or two years or whatever. And they don't need them full time or they don't need them on an ongoing basis. Um, and so what it allows me to do is to do consulting works with a lot of our clients and then what I found out is that a lot of people will come and say, well, we don't really hire contractors, but we still need your help. And so, so we do that as well, where I'll come on and, you know, audit um, their TA shop and meet with their teams and kind of come in and say, okay, let's, let's make a plan. If I had to get kind of modernize talent acquisition in your organization, what would I do? How would I do that? Um, and it goes back to like why I wrote the book. It's the same kinds of stuff. If, if you were to bring me in to run your TA shop, what advice would I give you? And so it's, I enjoy that. Um, and I enjoy working with TA leaders because the TA leaders, I think that hire me to come in and work with their teams really have a strong passion of wanting to do great work. They just don't necessarily know how to get there or how to get themselves out of the rut they're in. All right. Excellent. Well, Tim, it's been fantastic having you on. Really appreciate it. For sure. I enjoyed it. Hey, thank you for listening to Imperfect Action today. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was. What what are you going to take from the show and put into action in your life right now today to help you move forward? Hit me up in the comments or on Twitter. I'm dying to hear how is this show helping you to move forward? Now, one of the things I want to mention was that today's episode was brought to you by Nutrafit. Now, I tried Nutrafit's whey protein supplement after meeting the founder and hearing about his journey and his commitment to quality. I like to support up and coming businesses, so I gave it a try and I was really amazed at it. 
Now, I've had a lot of different protein drinks, but what made NutraFit different is one, that it mixes immediately, and also that the chocolate flavor actually tasted like chocolate. You know, so often they taste that like some kind of chemical engineering science project rather than just like food. And on top of that, NutraFit has no artificial sweeteners, colors, or preservatives. Plus, it includes probiotics, and I find it to be easy on the stomach. Now, the true taste test of it all is that my teenage daughter even likes it. She often has a shaker cup in the morning just on her way to school. Now, there are a lot of supplement brands on the market, but I do want to mention that NutraFit happens to be my personal favorite. And as a listener of Imperfect Action, you get 15% off of any order. When you're at checkout, after you've picked out your products, just use the code TAKEACTION. And that's written as one word, just take action. At checkout. Now, my personal favorite, and I'm not trying to influence you here, but is the double chocolate whey protein. And you can order right on NutraFit's website. That's N-U-T-R-I-F-I-T-T. There's two T's in there. So NutraFit.net. And let me know what you think.